you are in the right place. Welcome to the latest episode of the Dan Time Podcast. I'm your host, Dan McArdle. We've had some exciting guests on Dan Time, and if you've missed any of them, go back and check out any of the previous episodes. We went back in time with Vic Penn to the early Division I days of UCF football. Then we went north of the border to visit Dan Kabelka, a two-time heart transplant recipient and eternal optimist. Then last week, we went south with Dan Harrison, a Nashville singer-songwriter and rising talent. My guest today is DJ Sims, a big impact guy, somebody who genuinely cares about how you're doing. You want to know him. You want to work with him. You want to hang out with a guy like DJ. And if your kid is playing Little League, you want him to be their coach. You just don't forget a guy like DJ. He's had his ups and downs, and he's faced struggles. But by all accounts, DJ is a success story. The two of us worked together at the same firm over 10 years ago. We connected right away. DJ has an outsized personality and a giant heart, and you wouldn't have known that he came from such humble beginnings. DJ coaches girls softball, and you're going to love his outlook on coaching and how he influences these girls. While working full-time, being a dad, being a husband, a coach, DJ is also pursuing a degree from the University of Alabama. He's a huge Crimson Tide football fan, Cincinnati Bengals fan, and Atlanta Braves fan. Ladies and gentlemen, it is DJ Sims time. All right, well, I probably say this every week, but I truly mean it. And uh, this week is, I don't want to say this week is no different. This week is extra special. My good friend, DJ Sims, is joining Dan Time. And DJ, I could not be happier and more excited to be talking to you today. Dan, man, I can't tell you how you know lucky I feel to be on your show, man. I mean, it's been so long since we've been able to have a conversation. You know, I'm just happy to be here, man. I, I really can't wait to talk to you. Well, this is... Um, us kind of filling in the gaps, like a lot of friends. I think people listening to the podcast can relate. You got people that you picked up along the way, and maybe that was 2007, 2012, uh, maybe even three years ago. And you text and you keep up with Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff. But this is one of my favorite things about the podcast, reaching out to people. And y'all, please remember, I don't cast this huge net where I'm just trying to get anybody to say, yes, I'll do the show with you. I, I truly think about who's going to make a big impact. That's what makes it special today with DJ. We worked together for a short time, and I was like a fish out of water in that environment because I, I had gone from late shift service industry work to nine to five. And I'll never forget that first day and that first week in particular where when I met you, I thought, Everything's going to be all right here. <laughs> Man, I tell you, dude, I can't tell you how much that uh, means to me for you to say that. And, you know, you've stuck with me along the way, too. I love seeing your updates on LinkedIn, on Facebook. There's always those people that you gravitate to, you know, and that's how it was for you and I when, you know, when we first met. And I was, you know, I hadn't been there that long once you came along. And I was like, like you say, a fish out of water. You know, I come from working at UPS to moving back home and. I was in Auburn, and then I was in Birmingham, and then I was at Protective Life, and all of a sudden, one day, they came in and said, sorry, your jobs are gone, so I had to find something else. And 
I just got lucky enough to find that and find those people. And luckily you, you know, came along and, you know, man, we hit it off and that was some of the best months or however long it was that we were together in my life. Oh, that, that's big. That's a, a big statement. I never knew that. I just knew that all of a sudden I'm in a new environment and I was taking a chance on it. I really needed to get on a regular schedule. And this period of time was a transition for a lot of us. And I guess, I guess I didn't know it. I just felt like the new guy, but DJ, I referenced you. I didn't reference you by name in the last episode with Dan Harrison as uh, one of the guys that actually introduced me to country music and some songs that I was kind of familiar with just from the radio or being around other people. But um, you and Scott and some of those Pandora stations, I think I was just happy to have some music playing <laughs> at that time. And what y'all were playing was like, okay, I I'm usually listening to hard rock or, or whatever, and this is a little different. But, man, I found a lot of songs that I liked, and I just liked the fact that you in particular were trying to had the most fun that you could have with that day. And uh, the work we were doing was um, maybe not particularly exciting for us or, or anybody on the outside for that matter, but it really stood out to me that you were trying to make each day fun. And uh, I'll let you speak to that a little bit. Oh, yeah, man. You know, it, like you said, it's very mundane, just the same thing every day. You just process what we were processing. There wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot of fun. So we had to do stuff to kind of make us have fun and the music. I mean, I'm a heavy metal guy too. I like that stuff. But, you know, when you, when I want to feel something and want to share feelings with people, you know, kind of country is what I lean into. And that was kind of my wheelhouse and still it really is. And that just made for some good days. Now, you, you know, people tend to, you know, let their emotions go and just kind of be who they are when they're listening to some good old country music. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring, you know, not only to you, but to Scott and to May and to Allison and all the people that were there with us um, at that particular law firm at that time. You know, those are some really good memories. DJ, I really thought that you almost went out of your way to cheer people up or even make people feel included. There was not one day in that first week where I felt like, you didn't at least care that I was there. You know, so a lot of people in your day-to-day -day life, I think people can relate to this, they don't really pay attention to you, especially if you're the new person. Oh, we just have a tendency, it seems like, to just blow past people and pretend like anybody that's not in our inner circle is just not really even there. And you just seem to have this interest in other people that I admired right out the gate. No, and I appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm still that way. You know, I, I try to... You know, I say it's the leader in me. I try to lead by example. You know, I never want to be some bossy person, but I want to make people feel comfortable. And I don't have to be have a leadership title to carry myself each day in different situations as a leader. You know, I, you know, I want people to feel comfortable. You know, I don't ever want people to think that I'm some stuck-up guy that doesn't care because I genuinely care about other people. And I feel like that's lost in today's society. We don't really care about each other anymore, but I'm going to, as my mom always taught me growing up, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, not how you're treated. So I'm going to treat people how I want to be treated, whether they treat me that way or not. That's kind of where that comes from. Well, those types of values usually come from your early days. What are some of your memories growing up from being just five, six, seven years old and being around your mom? Was she instilling some of the values of just, hey, please, thank you, yes, sir, no, sir? 
Oh no, absolutely. I mean, we we when I say this, growing up we didn't have much, and when I say didn't have much, like we didn't have anything. Um, I grew up um, very poor. We were very poor. You know, I lived in a trailer with no AC in the summer, no heat in the winter. Um, it was just you know we had to deal with what we had, and mom was very hard on my yes sirs and no sirs and my manners and golly, I just when I think back. You know, she would slap me in the head if I didn't say sir or ma'am or treat people with respect. And I remember one time we were at the grocery store um, and I didn't say sir to the, the bag boy. And then I corrected myself and I said, I mean, yes, sir. And the guy was like, you don't have to call me sir. And uh, my dad said, yes, it does. So, you know, it's just one of those things that were always instilled in me to treat others with respect, no matter if they're the same age as you, younger than you. And, you know, I, I got that from, like you said, at a very young age. Well, you wish that every child could have that role model in their life. Doesn't always have to be their mother. Sometimes it's an uncle or just a positive adult figure. And I guess maybe every generation, when you get to be a certain age, around our age, DJ, and you you start thinking, well, the kids are just, they either got it rough this, these days or uh, I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about the next generation. I'm sure that's been going on for, you know, hundreds of years. But sometimes I do have concern, I guess, about how adults are treating themselves as role models. I know you can talk on that end about how you feel about today's society and your place in it. And Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying for a hundred, like a hundred percent understand where you're going with that. And they say kids have changed. Um, in my opinion, kids haven't changed. We as the adults have changed. You know, we don't demand those manners and respecting each other and respecting ourselves you know parents would just hand a kid a tablet and say here you go I mean they won't spend time with them anymore you know they don't take them to play softball they don't want to coach softball they you know they don't want to coach baseball they don't want to volunteer their time um, or if they're at you know softball games I've seen this way too many times the parents will argue with umpires and argue with other parents and get themselves thrown out and embarrass their kids embarrass their community and you know, it's one of those things where you're looking at it from the outside perspective as, you know, as I'm coaching, seeing these things, these things happen. And I'm just like, man, like, what have we done? Like, where are we, where are we going wrong? You know, I mean, we see all these glamorous things on TV and all these people have all these nice cars and houses and watch the Kardashians or whatever on um, TV. And we get this idea of that's the way life's supposed to work. Well, that's not reality. You know, that's a form of fake reality that they just see on TV and they want to do that stuff in person or whatever, but that doesn't help our children. We're not setting good examples and being positive role models for the kids. And that's a lot, uh, has a lot to do with the way things have gone awry these days, in my opinion. You know, I think that's a great point, DJ. Uh, I think anybody who's a parent who has stopped for a second and done this for more than 30 seconds, what's your little kids and I don't have teenagers yet, but I think teenagers too. What they really want is your undivided attention. They want some eyeball time for five solid minutes. And I think parents, we're, we're busy. We got a lot of stuff going on. We got our mobile devices. We've got work calling. We've got people we got to text and, and all these things that are competing with our attention. And we've got, you know, our little child sitting there next to us, but we're not looking at them. We're listening with one ear, not both ears, and I daily try to work on that. 
And when you spend those five minutes and you put everything aside, and like I said, you have that one-on-one eyeball time, you can just see the light in their faces when they know that you're not distracted with anything else and, and they are important to you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And a few months ago, I'm in sales. My, my phone always rings, always, whether it's text messages or phone calls or emails. You know, they're always coming in. It doesn't matter what time of day or if it's the weekend. And one of my kids looked at me. She said, Daddy, you love your phone, don't you? And, man, that just, like, it kind of broke my heart. I'm like, baby, I wish I didn't have it as loving as much. Oh, I know. It's it's a unique challenge that it's 2023. I mean, in 1993 and 2003, this wasn't uh, really a thing. I mean, DJ, we're close to the same age. I remember in high school, I went all through high school with no cell phone. A few of my classmates had beepers or pagers. You know, I mean, I'm a 90s, uh, 90s grad. So there was there was a time people forget that there was a time where this stuff didn't dominate our lives. But depending on the job you're in, and I can relate with you there, DJ, we're just so connected, and it's it's hard to check out. It's hard to not be available or to let a call go to voicemail because uh, you just feel like you need to grab everything that comes at you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm one of those people that likes to respond immediately, like so I don't forget mainly. So, you know, if I get someone buzzing in, I'm 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 trying to deal with that and listening to, you know, the macaroni cook in the kitchen or, you know, one of the kids getting hurt outside and you try to do all these things at the same time so you don't forget. It just it do, it definitely gets hard when you're always connected. Sometimes I just want to go off the grid and stay off the grid. <laughs> I could definitely re- relate. You know, there's some times where you've got time off coming up and you need to take a few days. And DJ, uh, sometimes I think that a staycation is more desirable than a vacation where I've got a plan to go somewhere, travel to get there, and all the energy of that week. And I just want to be at my house and take care of my yard. <laughs> put all my put all my stuff away and... Um, and turn off the devices for a little bit and just be outside. It, it is a, u- a unique challenge this day and age, that's for sure. DJ, I want to ask you, how did you get involved in coaching? And what are some things that you found that you really enjoy about it? Well, honestly, <laughs> I said that I would never coach my kids because two things, the parents and the politics. I'm not a politics guy. I do not play that um, stuff. And parents, they expect you to, you know, do with their kid what you want them to do with their kid. And if you have an opinion on if they should do something else, they don't like it. Um, And I wasn't going to coach. But the first season, one of my daughters played, their coach was just awful. I mean, it was one of the worst coach teams I'd ever seen. And I've had to bite my tongue because I wasn't going to be one of those parents that just kept talking and chattering, you know, at the coach to do things differently because it wasn't my team. It's their team. They do what they want. So after that season, I just kind of decided that I was done with that. And if I wanted my kids to succeed and not just at softball, but, you know, I teach my kids, you know, we're going to be, we're going to play this game, but we're going to play this game. So it makes us better people. And I've been saying that since the first week I stepped on the field as coach, we're not here to be better softball players. We're going to get better at softball, but we're here to be better kids and better people. And um, that's just kind of, it just kind of fell in my lap that way. You know I mean? And I would not take it back. I'm so glad. It's so rewarding to be a coach. Um, not only do I coach Rick, but I have a travel team as well. And I'm the vice president of the board 
of Smith Station U softball and all this stuff. Just, I mean, it came, it literally just came to me. I didn't have to go find it. It's like the universe lined up that way because it's feel I feel like it's something that I was called to do, and I feel like I'm supposed to have a, you know, make a mark in children's lives, and I have a real passion for that. So, you know, I, w- I would not change a thing. I love being around these kids and. I love coaching them and, like I said, helping them be better people. Well, like we were saying earlier, I don't think a child in this day and age can have any shortage of role models. And just like you and I remember our kindergarten teacher, first grade teacher, first few Little League coaches. I mean, I remember really every coach that I've pretty much ever had. And the ones that made the most impact, I remember them vividly. And you've got that power right in your hands you're in a place with this team and this group of girls that if you take DJ out of it and you put somebody else in, they may not do a bad job, but, but you'll have a very unique impact on them. And like you said, that's just gotta be very rewarding. You have to deal with some of the things on the outside, like you said, where parents and the pressures that they really unfairly put on these volunteer coaches. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The the coaches, not only the coaches, but the umpires, man, the umpires have an impossible job. My oldest son played t-ball last spring, and that was my first introduction at the t-ball level of how some people have a hard time keeping their emotions in check. I had to do a double take <laughs> a few times in the stands and thinking, "Are we really arguing about this?" <laughs> I, like it's t-ball. I mean, we're not like like I tell like we're not here to win the MLB championship. We're not going to win the MLB championship on this field today. Like, so we're here to learn. That's like kind of the point here. And like you said, like my coaches, when I was a kid, they made a real impact on my life because my dad was big time alcoholic and he was really not there for my games. So I gravitated toward my coaches. And ultimately, one of my little league coaches would adopt me after my dad died. So not only did they make an impact on me in sports, but eventually they would make an impact on my life. So, and I kind of, you know, that's another reason why, you know, I want to have this relationship with kids because. If it weren't for my coaches when I was a kid, like there's no telling where I would be. I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I know that I would probably be another statistic. So if I can help any child not fall down a different, like a dark path, I you know I wouldn't change a thing as far as what I'm doing and how many late not that late nights there are because I mean as you probably know I'm still in school too. So go Alabama online, and I wouldn't I would continue to do everything that I do right now just to be able to say I changed one kid's life. That is remarkable, DJ. Even good people, I, I, I think that good people take a pass on huge opportunities that don't cost a dime. And what I mean by that, I guess, is it's so much easier to just go through your routine and get your job done and then get back to what you enjoy doing and not take advantage of things that come your way where you can make a lasting impact, particularly with a child, whether it's a, a teenager, a 10-year-old, a five-year-old, um, however you can impact them. Because, I mean, the next generation, it, it's just a, a different kind of world out there. And I think that they need to be even more equipped than we were to deal with it. You're right. And I say it all the time, leave it better than you found it. I mean, that's the goal. You always want to leave things better than you found it. DJ, I remember um, this may have been a couple of years back, but it, it really stuck out to me. I remember one time that uh, you posted may have been on Facebook, a picture of the house that you grew up in. And I don't know what brought you back there that day, but it was such a powerful post. 
where you were talking about, I just want to remember where I came from and how far I've come since then. And do you remember that in particular? Yeah, I do. It was in um, July, June. No, no, it was on June 15, 2019. And I only remember that because it's one of my best friend's birthday. And I posted that on that day um, and it went viral. It had over like 30,000 shares and so many comments and reactions and things like that. Um, I definitely remember it, man. I mean, it pops up all the time. People still share it, send it to me. People will still send me messages on Messenger to this day about that post. Um, I mean, it meant a lot to me. Uh, a lot of people don't understand or never knew where I came from. They just, you know, some people think, oh, you know, he's just, he's got it made. He's got whatever, you know, he's got this and that. But, you know, that's not true. I've had to I've had to come overcome a lot of obstacles in my life um, and that rundown trailer it's you know a big part of who I am and I'll never no matter how far I go in life I'll never forget where I come from and you know that kind of keeps me grounded and DJ you probably remember what it's like as a kid waking up and there's no Cheerios there's no milk in the fridge maybe or there's stuff that you have but not stuff that there's not enough of whatever were there ever periods of time where the power got cut off or the water got cut off Oh man, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad made money. I mean, it's not like he would didn't make any money, but he spent all of his money, you know, on beer and cigarettes and stuff like that for him and mom. So there would be times where you know the water would be cut off or the power would be cut off, and we would have to take like my mom would have to boil like water for me to even take a bath, and I had to sponge it off and wash myself just to go to school. You know what I mean? And I didn't have name brand clothes or anything like that. You know. Um, it, it was really tough. It was really tough. People would see my dad. He would always be drunk. I honestly have no idea how I'm still here in that regard because after football games or baseball games, basketball games, or whatever the season was, like every time he'd pick me up, he would be so drunk he couldn't walk. So he'd always stay in his truck. And um, how he drove me home without, you know, killing me or my mom, I'll, I will never know. I guess just God had a purpose for my life. Um, probably the only reason I'm still here. But yeah, man, there were holes in the floor of that trailer. And he bought that thing like when he graduated high school in 1969. So it was like a 69 or a 70 model. And this was, I mean, I was born in 84 and we lived, I lived in that trailer until I was 15 years old when my dad passed away. And I moved out like with that coach that I said, he kind of adopted me and took me under his wing. But yeah, dude, it was, it was rough. It was a challenge. I'm, I'm just glad that it, I was an only child because I don't know if two of us would have gotten out of it the same way that I did. Wow. DJ, that was something I didn't know about that you um, did not have siblings. I was starting to wonder, was there a little sister, a little brother that had to deal with that situation too? And like you said, maybe it was just meant for who knows. I really don't even want to speculate on, you know, why that was part of your story, part of your narrative, but thank God for, the coach that got involved in your life because you've got the makeup of an impactful person. And what is so sad is that there are little children right now in poverty, in situations like that, that are, they're going to be type A. They're going to have leadership qualities. They're going to be interested in other people, but they're stuck in this awful situation. And maybe they get out of it, but maybe they don't have a positive male figure or or female figure to carry them along the way oh that's really sad but i'm just fortunate that 
our paths crossed because of what happened in your life, and I got to meet you and call you a friend. Yeah, brother, it's very unfortunate that there are kids that have to go through that. And honestly, a lot of times, and I, you know, I, I joke about it to my wife, but I feel like TV dads raised me, honestly, because if it weren't for shows like Step by Step and Family Matters and Fresh Prince, you know, you had Uncle Phil and right. um, all those great dads that, you know, really showed you what it meant to be a good you know, father. If I didn't have those people in my life, along with the coaches, I probably could have fallen right into the you know trap of not being that type of person. Um, but I just had the mindset that I was not going to be this way. And I remember that for as long as I can remember. I, I'm, this is not going to be my life. This is not going to be who I am. I'm better than this. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to live this way. So and that's kind of always where my mind is going. Now you get into your later teenage years and you're 18, 19, 20. Are you getting a, a new outlook on life and starting to see what's possible out there for you around that time? Yeah, around that time, I started working with my uncle, and we I, we were doing some uh, some brick masonry work, and I traveled to Miami, and I lived in Miami for about six months down there. Um, we were building a cement plant, which is ironic and funny at the same time because we were building a cement cement plant, and now I actually work for that company all these years later, and I had no idea until I saw a picture that was posted on um, uh, one of the screensavers at work. I was like, I know that place. Like, he'll build that place. So it's kind of crazy how everything kind of comes full circle. But, yeah, I was I started doing some growing up around that age, and I went to college for the first time. I moved off to Auburn, and I was going to Southern Union, and I was working for UPS, and I was working for a carpet cleaner, and I was working for a, a diamond center, and I had three jobs trying to go to school, and something had to – be left out. So I had to stop going to school and I was working three jobs, just try to get by. And, you know, I've been working ever since. So that's why I've tried to little by little, you know, kind of get things done. But definitely my mindset changed uh, when I was about 18, 19, 20 years old. And you got to see that there was more than just your backyard, your hometown and some possibilities out there. No, absolutely. And people always give me a hard time because I went to Auburn, um, you know, because I'm a huge Bama fan. I always have been, you know, I think my first words were roll tide, um, especially my family. They give me the, the most grief for moving away to Auburn. But, you know, if I want to move to Tuscaloosa, I would have been 35, 40 minutes away from home. At Auburn, you know, I'm two hours away. The people that, you know, I was around when I was growing up, they weren't there. They weren't close. I couldn't, you know, I never did anything like really stupid because I have an overactive conscience. So I wasn't going to go out and do drugs or anything like that. But, you know, there were some people that you go around and they want to do dumb things. And if you're with them, you're guilty by association. They do something to get you in trouble. I never wanted to be that way. So I got as far away as I could where I could still be close enough to go back home if I needed to. That's great, DJ. I never knew that as well about you. Uh, and what a, you don't know it at the time, but I remember being 19, 20, 21, and being around people that were doing things that I didn't really need to be doing. I still had a lot of late nights and went out and had fun, but I always kind of knew that I don't need to go too far here. Let's, let's focus on the, the end game. No, yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with you on that. Like, I n- I've never fallen in the trap of, the drugs, I've always said, you know, because of my prior situation, I was like, this is not going to be me. So I didn't have to worry about that. But, you know, give me a couple beers and I might sing some karaoke, every, you know, every now and again. But 
DJ, I've actually, and this is the first episode where I've decided to do this, the garbage time, or I used to call it the lightning round, but it was, really wasn't the lightning round because that's supposed to be like quick question, quick answer type stuff. But I got to drop in a garbage time question right here. And this one just came to me today. All right. Are you ready for this one? Let's do it. All right, DJ. You walk into a bar, it's karaoke night, and you think, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting this, but man, I'm ready to get up there and sing. I'm already, I, I want to do this. And so you put, put in your song, and when the DJ, <laughs> the DJ calls you up there, and you get to your song, and you're about to walk off stage, and he grabs you and says, hey, man, uh, listen, there's five or six people after you. I, I don't know what happened, but, but they all had to go. I, I don't know if it was an emergency or something, but they... They had to leave the bar. So, man, I need you to kind of carry us through here and uh, basically just do a set. And, uh, and so stay with me on this. He says, why don't we just stick with that one artist, and I just want you to just do a full set of about five or six songs so we can keep the party going here. DJ, if you had to get up there and do a 30-minute karaoke set, who is one singer or band that you're like, all right, I could tear through that catalog? <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> um, Alabama. I mean, I know all their songs, man. I mean, I would have to go. I'd have to go with Alabama. And after the third song, you got to stop and say, how's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> <Y'all>... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Y'all having a good time? That would be a great time right there. You know, I kind of, you know, next time I go to the karaoke bar, I'm going to ask them for that challenge. Because <laughs> there's so many great Alabama songs that, you know, the crowd can get into and sing along with. And that's all it is about karaoke. you got to have good delivery, man. Like, you got to pick a song people know. DJ, I think you need to draw up an Alabama set list of about eight songs at least and say, hey, man, just let me get up there and rip it. Everybody else, everybody can wait. Everybody can wait 20 minutes. Give me about five songs in a row. This is the DJ show. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's show them the tips. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're going to get back on track in a minute here. But DJ, I got one more question. This is a, uh Alabama football question. You know, Saban, Nick Saban has been at the helm for over 15 years now, but we've been fans a long time. Do you have a favorite Alabama football coach pre-Saban? Yeah, Stallings. I mean, Stallings got – he got the rough end of the stick. You know, he wasn't like Coach Saban. He wasn't – Coach Saban doesn't get any mind to the boosters. You know, he's gonna he's in full control, and he does what's best for the program. And Stallings didn't have – you know, wasn't afforded that opportunity, and he just kind of got pushed out. Had he been able to stay a couple of years longer, I think he probably would have been able to do a better job of, you know, winning other championships. But he got kind of a raw deal there. Um, in my opinion, and yeah, Coach Stallings is definitely in my, you know, lifetime, the one who I looked up to the most, other than Coach Saban, of course. I think I got to agree with you there. And uh, Vic Penn, who was on Dan Time a few weeks ago, he was on the Central Florida team that beat the Mike Dubose-led team, which they're the that's the reason that Dubose got fired at the time that he did. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I remember getting beat by Central Florida and just being beyond disappointed. All right, let's let's get back on track and we will return to garbage time in a minute. So anyone who was like, "Oh, don't y'all don't stop it." Uh <laughs> <laughs> I got a few more questions in the bag, but 
All right. So DJ, um, at a young age, I don't want to go into a lot of detail here, but you lost your both your parents pretty close together. What was that like? Did it take the wind out of your sail at that time? How did it put things into perspective? I honestly don't even know how to answer this or ask this question the right way, but what was that like at that time period? And honestly, you know, me, I was 15 when, when my dad passed and it was very tough, man. It's honestly, it's still like, I'm still in shock really. Cause when you're that young, you, you can't normalize what's happened or conceptualize, excuse me, what, what's happened. And you just think, well, it'll be all right. He'll be here tomorrow, you know, but no, it, you know, he won't be here tomorrow. And that's really, it's, that's the hardest part. You know, it's like your dad, like he, he through all his faults, all of his faults, you know, all the drinking, you know, all the fights. Yeah. With my mom, but that's, you know, that's my dad. Like, how can, how can you just take him from me? Uh, he was here yesterday. We were watching Monday night football. We were eating, sna- eating steaks. And now like he's gone. Like that's it. 15 years is all I get with my dad. Like he was only 49 years old. And, you know, that's kind of when I made the pact with myself that, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to make these same choices. I'm going to do the right things that I need to do to make sure that when I have a family, you know, they're going to feel loved by me and I'm going to try to live as long as I can so that, you know, I can be here to annoy them like I do now. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's my purpose to annoy my kids. (laughs) And it was a couple of years later when my mom passed, I, you know, it was 10 years roughly. And that, that hurt because she, you know, went through a lot after my dad died. She really, she lost herself and she got on drugs really bad. And, you know, I, I walked in on her shooting up. I don't know what it was. I, I wasn't there long enough to figure it out. I walked in and I saw it and she blamed me, you know, for doing it. And that was like one of the hardest things I'd ever had to deal with. And we didn't talk for several years after that. Um, and when we finally did, you know, she had cleaned up and, when she cleaned up, she was probably sober for about a year and a half. And then she got the swine flu was going around at that time. And she got the swine flu and went to the you know, hospital or whatever. And she was in the hospital for like three months. And through Halloween, through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, through New Year's. Um, and this was in 2009. So, um, it, you know, it was rough. And she was here and we had gotten over everything and she was starting to get her life right. She had gotten a job. Um, she, you know, she had previously had a stint in prison because of the drug stuff. And, you know, we, we finally kind of made things right with each other and she was gone. I I just don't even know really uh, what to say on that end other than DJ, I guess some things in life we're not meant to understand them completely and you have to, I guess, create your own closure, right? And I imagine with your dad that you knew things about him on a deeper level. He probably had, he was probably capable of telling a good joke. I'm guessing I might be, I may, may be wrong. Or no, that's... you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. And everybody loved my dad. I loved him. Uh, he, I mean, from what people tell me, I'm a lot like him. Um, and that, you know, makes me happy because everybody really loved my dad, especially, you know, I don't, I honestly don't know what happened to make him an alcoholic. I wish I, I wish I knew that. And, you know, looking back, you know, there were so many times I wanted to talk to him and ask him, you know, why are you this way? 
but being so young, you know, I never wanted to disrespect my dad. So I, I never, you know, thought to talk to him about it in that way. And I kind of hate that looking back, you know, but so young, you don't want to say the wrong things to your parents. Well, it looks to me like you basically took the best qualities that were given to you and you climbed out of where you came from. Now, I want to ask you about your name. I always, After every episode, I always think, this is Dan time. I don't ask people, hey, how long have you been going by the name Dan? Or when did DJ come along? Or where did Danny come along? So you go by DJ, and it's Daniel Jackson Sims. Was there a time when you were younger that you were Daniel for a while? Or do you still, do you still answer to Daniel? Or how did DJ come to be? You know, it's funny. I was in the fifth grade. And my dad's name was Danny. So I was named after him, Daniel. So in fifth grade, there were like three other Daniels in my class. And I was like, I don't, I don't like this. Like, I don't want to be the same guy. And I went home that day and asked my mom, I was like, you know, mom, would you be okay with me going by DJ instead of Daniel? And she was like, yeah, you can go by whatever you want to, but I mean, if that's what you want to do. And ever since fifth grade, I've been DJ. I love it. Don't don't ask my wife. She's going to tell you, Daniel, because she doesn't call me DJ. You know, I tell her all the time. Stop calling me my government name, man. You know, like, I don't want to be called that, but she doesn't listen that well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. My wife's the best. <laughs> my government name. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. DJ, all right, we got to – all right, everything from here on out is going to be pretty light. I think we've hit on the – on the tough subjects and um thanks for running through that gracefully with me i felt a little uncomfortable asking you but i knew that your story would resonate with people listening to this show who probably have you know at least some of them have something similar that they can draw back on anytime anytime i can help you know others i'm all for answering any type of questions you know because that's that's why i'm here i feel like you know just to help people yeah, you know, life is, if you look at what's marketed to you on commercials during the Alabama football game or whatever team you're watching or whatever show you're watching, if you just watch what's being marketed to you in commercials and the lifestyle and the cars that you should drive and here's, you need to go ahead and get that new phone and you need to be vacationing here, This all this stuff will make you happy. It's not what's going to make you happy. I have found that the most, I've had the opportunity to be around people in their 60s and 70s in places that I've worked and I've gotten to see what makes older people happy and it's not all the stuff that they have it's the relationships that they have and the people that they get to make a difference impacting so I I find that that's what makes me the most fulfilled is when I'm spending time with my children or having a meaningful conversation with somebody just on the street in the store at the ball field Uh, whether that's somebody I just met or a good friend. I think you and I can agree on that end. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. My most meaningful and quality time is the time that I spend with my family, whether it's here at home or softball field or when I take them to Alabama games. You know, it's just – that's for me, that's the time I like the most. When I'm with my family, we can be on a vacation. We can be at the house watching step-by-step. What You know, whatever we're doing, as long as I went on – as long as I'm with my family, that's when I'm at you know my best and when I'm at peace. Well, DJ, I'm going to slip back into some – they're not all garbage questions. I really should come up with a better name for this part of the show. But 
All right, we have not touched on wrestling, and I need to uh, I need to say this. This uh, go all the way back to the beginning. I think it was the first week or so that we were paired up together in Club Two Hundred One. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to Scott and Allison on that one, DJ. There was. I think everyone had left, and it was a few minutes after five, and I was finishing up something, and you were too, and we got to talking about wrestling. And you looked at me, I'll never forget, you spun around, and you said, I knew it, I knew it, man. And, uh, like, we're going to get along. And we must have been talking about one of the pay-per-views, and I happened to have one of the Survivor Series DVD sets and uh, let you borrow it, and we connected on that end. I don't get to watch it as much. As I used to, I make a point to watch the WWE Royal Rumble every year. Uh, my wife doesn't understand why that's so important, but <laughs> I try to watch WrestleMania too. But DJ, do you get a chance? Are you still keeping up with AEW or WWE? Man, like you said, like it's so hard to catch it these days. And it's funny you say Royal Rumble because the Rumble is one that I will not miss. I I have to watch it every year just for nostalgia purposes alone. It's just, man, you can't you can't beat it. Every time that buzzer goes off and that next person coming down the ramp, it just takes you back to childhood. And it's one of those moments where, you're like, oh, yes, this this is what wrestling used to be. But um, WrestleMania, I catch WrestleMania and some maybe SummerSlam or Survivor Series, but they've got so many pay per views. It's hard to watch them all when you've got so many other things going on. But I definitely had a great affinity for wrestling when I was a kid and. You know, those are some of the best memories I had watching it with my buddies or with my cousin Benji. You know, we would we'd get little Caesars and rent wrestling tapes, and that was our weekend, man. It was just, it was awesome. It was. I'm with you on that. I, I, I'll try to watch it sometimes when I'm flipping channels, but I'm out of all the storylines. I don't really know what's happening, and I guess I'm feeling like an old man where it's not going to really touch the old days as far as the characters for me and all the personas back then. Um, there's actually a podcast that I haven't mentioned them before, but the Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard podcast is the best and the funniest podcast that I have ever listened to. And it's going to sound like I need to broaden my horizons and I just haven't heard uh, something that's going to be funnier. But these two guys, it's Bruce Pritchard, the guy that played Brother Love, and... uh Conrad Thompson, he's actually from Huntsville, Alabama. He's in the mortgage banking business, and it's just an awesome show. They go down memory lane a lot. DJ, what about Cincinnati Bengals? I know that that's been your favorite NFL team. You've been a fan for a long time. What do you think about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all these guys, and how do you feel about the Bengals this year? Man, I've been a Bengals fan since I was – I think it was 1990 when I became a fan. And the only reason I became a fan is because Boomer Esiason, he started his first ever NFL game for the Bengals on the actual day that I was born, October the 7th, 1984. And that's real. You can look at it. You can Google that. October 7th, 1984, started his first game in the NFL for the Bengals around the time that I was born, too. So I found that out, and I was like, this is my team. This is one I'm going with. Um, and I love Joe Burrow. I'm actually sitting here wearing my Burrow jersey right now, and I've got the game cast on um, the screen as well here so I can see how the game ended. Luckily, we won today, beat the Seahawks. But I love Joe Burrow, man. Joe Shiesty, 
It's my dude, even though he's an LSU Tiger. I don't care. You're in the NFL now, my friend, and you were, man, he plays so well. And Jamar Chase, like he said, he's like 7 Eleven, baby. He's always open. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, let me ask you um, I remember 1990, I was in fifth grade, I think, uh, that Super Bowl with the 49ers. And I was rooting for the Bengals just because of their uniforms. And to this day, I root for the Baltimore Ravens, but I love the Bengals uniforms. I think they are maybe the most unique design and color scheme in, in all of professional sports. I really think that uh, I've never seen anything quite like it, particularly the helmets. Man, I love them. And, you know, honestly, this fall, my, um, my softball team, we, we went with the Bengals theme jersey. So we got the black and the orange, and uh, the girls love it. And I actually, I love their whites. They're all, they're all whites, the alternatives, man. I, as soon as mm-hmm. that helmet came out, I bought it, and I've got it in a case. And, you know, I just, I love it. Every, everything about their uniforms is amazing. And when they do the field white, crowds white it out, it's amazing. Yeah, at first I didn't think I was going to like it. I thought, what are y'all doing? I love the orange and black. This looks too plain. And then the more I watch it, uh, I'm really into it. Oh, yeah, White Tiger is so clean, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right, DJ. I got a situational question here. All right, so you're heading into work or you're going somewhere where you're you're dressed pretty well you got a nice pair of pants on and you spill something it's not necessarily coffee but you just spill something all over the front of your pants and there's no turning back there's no backup pair of pants you got to get out of the car in about eight minutes it ain't gonna it's not gonna dry what is your mindset when something like that has happened and you just gotta walk in there like the mess that you are and act like nothing is wrong. Well, you know me, man. I, I Sometimes I just don't care. So I'm just going to get out there. So, oh, oh, well, walk on in. Like, <laughs> like nothing happened. People staring at me. I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, dude. I was going to be late. I had to come in and sit down. I guess we can get to work. <laughs> uh, we, as we know, with, with uh, little kids and when your daughter was, was younger, I mean, you pick them up and they, they just either a runny nose or something that they've got on them. They just, they, they could just make you look rough after just holding them. It's hard to have nice clothes or, you know, have anything that, that stays nice in some situations. But yeah, you just got to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, you have to, especially having kids, man. Like you said, I mean, with my two, they, they will make a mess out of anything. So. <laughs> People aren't surprised if they see me wearing something that uh, doesn't look exactly crisp out of the washing machine. <laughs> Girls are nasty, by the way. Yeah, I'm starting to find that out. <laughs> DJ, what's your thoughts on, I try not to hit up the drive through for, you know, every lunch hour, but a couple times a week, I'm in the car a lot. So I went through Wendy's today and I saw the promo for the loaded nacho cheeseburger loaded nacho cheeseburger i just looked at the picture and i thought dj this is not an accident waiting to happen this is an accident that is going to happen in about 20 minutes after you eat this thing what are your thoughts on just these fully loaded just gooey saucy huge uh, monstrosity specials that you see at uh, whether it might be Wendy's, might be Arby's. Do you like them? Do you eat them? Do you ever? 
I'm asking too much out of this question, but what do you think about that stuff? No. Well, let me say first, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, you know, it's time. So that's one of those things where you're going to have to get it after work and make sure you go home and eat it because in about <laughs> seven to 10 minutes, you know, you know, you know what's happening. <laughs> let me ask, all right, on that end, do you ever, if you're eating nachos, just regular nachos, is there ever a time where you get out a fork or are you saying, hey, I'm in it, I'm in it to win it, no utensils, ever? Oh, yeah, all the time, man. We go to Mexican like four times a week, it seems like. I'll get nachos. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to use my fingers, man. Why not? People look at me like I'm crazy anyway, so <laughs> why, why not just dive in? All right. I had a, I had a wrestling question. This is one I was going to skip over, but I got to ask it. If you had a chance to execute these two moves perfectly, and, and that's a hint for one of them, and if you don't have a name, that's okay, but you got to pick out two buddies of yours, and you, you deliver one finishing move to one and one to the other. I got a perfect plex and a stunner. Who are you giving a stunner, and who are you getting in the perfect plex? And for those who don't remember, that's uh, Mr. Perfect, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, I'm going to hit the perfect plex on Bo, my buddy Bo. <laughs> he's getting the perfect plex. And my cousin Benji, he's getting a stunner. I'm going to get him a stunner. <laughs> and then I'm going to pop the beers together and, you know, do the whole deal. I mean, I didn't even have to think about that. I just, that just rolled right off the tongue, baby. I love it. DJ, do you have a, does your refrigerator have that, that beeping function where you leave the doors open too long? It starts beeping at you. It does, yes, yes. All right. Do you ever feel like you're moving around the kitchen, it's beeping, and you, you actually need to keep it open a little longer, but you shut the doors almost like you're jumping into the ring and back out of the ring so you don't get counted out and you need to open back up? Absolutely. To keep your sanity. Because <laughs> that thing beeps and it doesn't stop. <laughs> DJ, how quickly do you get over... And this is recent, but the Atlanta Braves, when they make a postseason exit, are you over it the next morning? Does it take you a week? Uh, you had to bring this up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not over it. Like I, you know, I've been telling some buddies, it feels like we're right back in the 90s and 2000s, and 21 was 95. Like I feel like we're right in the middle of that run, that 17-year run, and there's only going to be one trophy to show for it. Like it, it, it's, 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 oh, it's, it's tough, man. Those metal relievers, the pins, killing us. I'm probably not going to be over it for at least another month. I can relate. Yeah, I know your cubbies, man. I, I thought they were going to make it in uh, at least to the playoffs and go a little further this year, but maybe next year. Once I saw that we were, we were trying to fight for that last wild card, and then I was, we didn't have a tiebreaker. We, we couldn't beat anybody if we wound up with the same record on the, on the last day of the season, I thought, all right, if we don't have any way out other than to out, to just win this thing outright, I'm going to go ahead and just be over it. So I got myself over it before it was over. Oh man, that's tough. That's so tough to do. And I just, I knew I didn't want the Braves to play the Phillies because they're just such a complete team. Bryce Harper is a man. I have followed that kid since he was hitting 500 foot bombs in Vegas in high school, and I, I love him. I've always wanted him to be a Brave, and I know it's never going to happen, so I'm just ready for him to move to the AL, man. He's, he's a Brave killer. He's He is 
to the Braves what Chipper Jones was to the Mets. And it it drives me nuts, but I love him so much at the same time. It's like, man, you're just a freak athlete. Well, I went to a game in August. Have you been to any of the Braves games at the new stadium? I have, but it's been a while. It's back when it was SunTrust when it first opened. I went to two or three games the first season, and my schedule hadn't lined up, so we haven't been able to get back. All right, I got so many other questions. I'm going to ask one more. DJ, in the summertime, you're at the pool, the kids are around, and no one's expecting anything. Have you ever just out of the blue said, all right, I'm just going to do a big can opener just out of nowhere? Or or do you, you know, wait till that's maybe acceptable? I usually just hang back until no one's paying attention. And then I'll hit them with the can opener, the Hammond ball. You know, I'll go full sandlot on them. You know, I'm not afraid to do that. Make sure you get the wife soaking wet when she doesn't want to be wet. You know, that's, you know, that's when you got to make them mad. So, you know, it's not like it's hurting them, but it's just annoying enough where they're not going to hurt you. <laughs> oh man dj well only reason i got to cut it off is i'm looking at the clock and we can't i'd love to talk for two hours sometimes but i mean this would you come back for a a second episode oh absolutely i would come back anytime my friend anytime all right well dj sims if you haven't heard of him before you heard of him now and you're going to remember this guy He's out there making a difference. Folks, if you're, if you're looking for a great place to, you got a, a child that's into youth sports, maybe playing softball, and you get ready to move, I, I'm putting it together like a whole package here, DJ. <laughs> move your family to Phoenix City and try to get DJ to coach your daughter. Specifically Smith Station. We, we play in Smith Station. So, yeah, that's definitely the place to be. We're trying to, you know, really grow the area and grow the softball. So we definitely, you know, want to build it up and would love to, to coach your kids. Yeah, that uh, I was going to forget to ask you this, but is there something you'd like to plug about your community and something you're happy about, excited about? Yeah, man, I'm really excited. We've, you know, we joined the board about three months ago and there's a lot of, there was a lot of updates that needed to be made at our complex because the girls have a separate complex and the boys and, you know, myself and a couple of other family members, we went to the, to the board and to the, the city council and made a plea, you know, to, to help us get the park in playing conditions, you know, so we can bring kids back. Cause we've had a slew of people just leave the area and go to surrounding cities. And our goal is, you know, like I said earlier, we want to leave things better than we found it. We want to bring kids in. So we, you know, we got the community to donate um, $31,000 to put new fences up um, at the park. So, I mean, I'm still working on donations. You know, we were 5013C, so we're doing all we can to raise money and raise funds so we can give these girls a park they deserve here in Smith Station. I love it, DJ, and I love that you're leading that charge. And any community that has you is lucky to have you. Um, I'm here to be the voice of the voices, buddy. And that's all I want to do is make a difference for these kids. All right. Well, anything else you want to plug? Is there anything you're jamming to on the radio or on your uh, Apple Music, Spotify? or? Oh, yeah, man. Riley Green just dropped a new album. Y'all need to go out and listen to that, man. Riley Green hits you in the fields and all his albums. and I couldn't recommend them enough.
I'm checking it out. If it's your recommendation, it's got to be good. It's up there, buddy. It's up there. All right, folks. Well, hopefully we gave you some takeaways on this episode. DJ is truly the man, the myth, the legend. I'm proud to call him a friend and can't wait to have you back on for some more Dan time, some more DJ time. Thanks for having me, Dan. You are and always always will be a great American. We didn't even touch on that. The Great American of the Day Award. I think it was supposed to be a daily thing or week. You got it for the whole week. Yep. I was fortunate enough to win that award. I still have it uh, hanging in my home office, framed. No, I don't, but I, I should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. See, it's always about boosting morale, you know. You have to boost the morale. I wasn't even, you know, that's how you lead by example. You don't have to be a leader to do that stuff to make people happy. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, folks, that's it for this week, this episode of Dan Time. And remember, when you pull up in a parking lot and you're about to step out of that car, I don't know who does this, but apparently people do sit there in their car and finish off that last chicken wing and drop it right outside their driver's side door. But please don't do that. I'm tired of stepping over these chicken wings. Uh, Do us all a favor and... Uh, hang on to those bones. I don't want to see them. Okay, and go. And, and return go. your shopping carts. Return your shopping carts. <laughs> Can't be stated enough. Don't leave them in that in-between zone. That doesn't count. DJ said it. That's right. Okay, y'all have a great week. And as always, look for little ways to make a difference in somebody else's life. Thanks, DJ. And we'll see you next time. Hey, if you love that episode, tell a friend about it. I think every show probably asks you to leave a review, leave a rating, and I appreciate it if you do. But if nothing else, just talk about Dan Time. It really helps the visibility of the program. Send someone a text about it. You can find Dan Time on all the social media pages, except maybe TikTok. And you can also reach me at dantimepod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.